0: Good evening, everyone. That is a wonderful, wonderful view from here to see so many of you out in the audience. Um, I'm Paul Levengood, president of the Virginia Historical Society, and I am really pleased to welcome you to a very special event this evening as we welcome Backstory, well, I guess, back. Um, A return performance. They were here last year in May, and if any of you were in the audience, and I think some of you probably were, you know what a treat you're in store for tonight. Um, Let me just remind you of what backstory is if you're not familiar with it and where it came from. In 2005, Andrew Wyndham, who I saw pacing the back of the room a minute ago, (laughs) he's over there by the door, um, had a great idea, which is there should be a call-in radio show about topics in history. And so he, um, of course, reached across Charlottesville and contacted Ed Ayers, who's sitting in the middle there. Ed, wave to the nice people. (laughs) And Peter Onuf, who's sitting on the left side of the table, or your right side of the table. And um, they study the 19th and 18th centuries respectively. And um, he sort of proposed the idea and they thought it sounded pretty interesting, I think. And they, but they were, they they had to admit something. And that was interesting things had happened after 1900. (laughs) Well, we're not sure. (laughs) Well, the jury's still out, but they thought, they needed some valuable perspective on this rather strange century that we just finished not too long ago, and so they tapped their colleague, Brian Ballow, who's here on this side of the table, to participate as a 20th century expert, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, during the past three years, Backstory has been produced more or less monthly, and it has been featured as a special by some 200 radio stations in 39 states. The show has also been downloaded as a podcast. 1.3 million times, which is pretty. Im- Ooh, the murmur goes. Through. <laughs> <Yeah>. the million-
1: <laughs> One million have been by Ed. Yeah, that's
0: right.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and it's not even in the script.
0: <laughs> wow, extemporaneous, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, now, with a major grant uh, from the National Endowment for the Humanities, Backstory is taking a major leap forward. Now I don't know whether the, someone does Chinese history, that sounds a little great step forward, major leap forward. Well, we have a five-year plan, Paul. All right, exactly. <laughs> so collectivized agriculture is the next step on the way. Right. Backstory is actually taking this major leap forward starting next May. The program will be produced um, and broadcast weekly, which, now that should make a murmur go through the crowd, because that's really impressive. These guys are busy guys, and yet they're going to do this once a week and it will be on a schedule on NPR stations around the country. Now, it's currently broadcast in Richmond on WCVE and WRIR, um, so you'll be able to hear it every week here in town, I hope, I hope. If not, certainly you'll be able to download it as we, many of us do um, all the time now. Now, the concept of the show, as you might know, is simple. Each episode tackles a single subject that's in the headlines today and tries to give people some sense of its historical background. Now I think the reason that I like to have backstory here at the VHS is I think that institutions like us can do no greater service than to put the events of history in some context and help us see how those events in history may lend some insight into what we live through every day. And so that's why I like to see them here at least once a year and I hope we can continue to do this. And today's topic is, of course, a very timely one, as we all look down the barrel of the holidays that are coming, in fact, hard to believe Thanksgiving is less than a a week away. And um, what are the competing myths that surround its origin? We did a program here not that long ago um, that Thanksgiving is really an interesting, it's a very, very typically American holiday in many ways, and yet there are some misunderstandings about Thanksgiving that I hope the guys will clear up. A couple of little housekeeping matters. Uh-oh, I think I've set the bar for you. <laughs> A couple of Must little try. housekeeping matters. This is, as you might imagine, an audience-driven show. Now, on the, on the radio, it relies on callers calling in, but you will be the callers during the show, and you will be able to ask questions during the show at various points, and these microphones here are for you to do that. Um, so please, think up good questions while you're there. Don't make me think up questions and come up to the uh, microphone for the guys and the guys would like you to remain at the microphone while you ask the question and they give the answer so that they might actually engage in a little bit of conversation or haranguing depending on whether Peter is doing the answering (laughs) Um, and and so please stay at the microphone two other things if you have a cell phone please turn it off now you may see that um, C-SPAN is here recording this now I did negotiate with them to turn the right lights off on your, in your faces right now, but when we do get to the Q&A p- period, they're going to have to turn them back on so that you can be seen on camera. And another, another thing I might just want to point to you is the timeliness of the topic. If you have not seen the travel section of the New York Times this past weekend, the lead story is about Thanksgiving, its origins in Britain, and a little bit of the controversy about Thanksgiving in the United States today and who can claim title to the first Thanksgiving. So. Without further ado, the History Guys and Backstory.
4: Backstory with the American History Guys is a production of the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities in Charlottesville. Major funding is provided by the National Endowment for the Humanities.
5: This is Backstory with us, the American History Guys. I'm Peter Onuf, 18th Century Guy.
3: I'm Ed Ayers, your 19th Century Guy.
1: And I'm Brian ballow 20th Century Guy. by bringing us all together like this. To share Thanksgiving with me. (laughs) Well, if that doesn't whet your appetite for the show that we have coming up, then you've been overeating, and before the holidays, too. Out there in Radioland, you've probably already guessed that we're devoting today's show to arguably the most important of America's national holidays, Thanksgiving.
3: We're coming to you live from the Robbins Family Forum at the Virginia Historical Society in Richmond, Virginia. And we're not alone here. In fact, we have in front of us at this very moment a very large room full of backstory friends, and we're going to do our best to make sure that we don't leave with fewer friends than we walked (laughs) into.
5: A little later on, we're going to be calling on some of you friends to step up to the mics with a few of your thoughts about Thanksgiving. But first, we're going to sharpen up our own carving knives, roll up our sleeves, and see if we can't get a little closer to the real meat of the matter. Our goal for the hour will be to reveal the roots, or would that be the bones, of the annual tradition that a lot of us will be reenacting. When is that?
3: Very soon.
1: soon. Thursday, (laughs) yeah. Hey, guys, guys, I can't help but notice that we have more than just mics on the table. Can you in the audience see what I'm referring to? Good, so you're alive out there. That's a good start. Perhaps you guys can be a little bit useful and and describe what's on the table for our radio audience. Right. We have an authentic turkey well stuffed with
5: hot air. We have an apple pie. We have corn and we have funny things that grew around the corn in New England. <laughs> that would and be
3: squash. Squash.
1: Squash, right. OK. So the idea here is that each of the items on this plate represents a different aspect of the Thanksgiving story, a different lens for understanding the holiday's history. And just so we're clear on this, just so we're clear, We all understand what that story is. Everybody learned it in elementary school. In 1621, the pilgrims and Indians up in Plymouth sit down together. They hold hands. They sing Kumbaya. And they share a really big feast that represents symbolically the coming together of everybody in America. And Peter, since you like corny jokes, why don't you uh, start by describing and telling us what is the meaning of corn? Well,
5: Brian, we got up some food culture shock here, I got to tell you. We take corn for granted, but you know, those English people who were in a new world, a dangerous and rocky and wilderness place, and the Indians serve corn, and, you know, they're familiar with corn, but it's not for them. They give it to their animals in England, so there's a bit of, oh, a discordant note, you might say. Because you were describing this very harmonious peace and love kind of getting together. Thanks to sounds good. Right, right, right. But from the very beginning, there was something oddly wrong, and that is this wasn't fit for human consumption. Well, you don't quarrel when that's all is, that's on offer, uh, but I, I asked a friend of mine, we had a conversation about this, a food historian named Jimmy McWilliams, if he could set the table for us a little bit and talk about that first Thanksgiving. And we're gonna hear a bit from that interview now.
6: It's not only the corn itself that I think influenced the way the English looked at the Native Americans, but it was also the way that they grew the corn. Native Americans had this agricultural method where they would clear a plot of land by girdling trees and burning the soil. The trees would die and fall. The ash in the soil would sort of work itself deeper into the topsoil. And then they would just throw the seed in. And then they would throw corn seed, beans, and squash. It would sort of throw it all together. And these crops would grow up together. And it was a remarkable arrangement, because the corn provided this natural bean pole. And the beans would worm their way up the corn. And the corn leaves would provide shade for the squash. it was a kind of botanical orgy. <laughs> but <laughs> this work, it was incredibly productive. It was not particularly labor intensive. If weeds came in, they let the weeds come in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here you have this sort of black charred land with trees all over the place, and these yeah. crops sort of crawling all over each other in the right. English looked again. Look looked nice. at that, and I said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what a disaster. Where are the fences? Where are the nice lined furrows? Yeah. You know, where's the, the land without weeds growing on it?
5: Well, where the English had come from, you were supposed to grow your crops in straight furrows and fenced fields. That's what civilized agriculture looked like. So in a way, not only was there funny food on the table, but it had been grown in a very funny way and suggested that maybe these people who were our hosts in that harmonious moment you evoked for us, Brian, were, well, maybe a little bit savage. Maybe they weren't quite human. This was the cultural baggage that these English people brought with them, of course. We know now that the Indians had it all right when it came to growing vegetables.
3: Peter, I'm a little, something you said early on kind of disturbed yeah. me a little bit, or confused me perhaps. Uh, when what's, the, what's new about that? Yeah, well that's it's always, but when, when was this? In
5: 1621.
3: Whew. you know, that seems like a long- uh, No,
5: no, hold it, this is my subject. This is my show. This is New England. That's where my people come from. Yeah, I know. I don't yeah. sound I, I, like New England, but that's where my all people. All right, come. all right, right. No, I'm I'm,
1: I'm throwing the flag. <laughs> Fifteen yards for roughing the historian. Oh Whoa. yeah.
3: And because, you know, I just want to point out that English people have been living here for a long time before 1621. You mean
5: down here?
3: Yeah, down here in Virginia. And and I just find it hard to believe that they had never once in that 14 years. Well, what did they have
5: to give thanks for? They
1: were dying like flies.
3: Uh, Well, all the more reason. (laughs) I brought
1: my referee's whistle too. You know, I've worked with these guys for a long time. And as soon as our producer said, we're doing the Thanksgiving show, I had a pretty good idea they were going to get in a quarrel. And I have no horse or turkey or any other vegetable matter in this race, which is why I'm going to referee that debate. But I also have an ace in the hole. We have a little help here in settling this dispute. I've invited a friend. He's the president of something called the Virginia Thanksgiving Festival. I like the
3: way this is sounding. Yeah. Yeah, you would. I
1: not He's descended from a ship's Captain, and it wasn't just any ship. His ancestor may have led the first real Thanksgiving. Sorry, Peter, in 1619. Quiet, Peter. You're being neutral, Peter. Don't make me. Don't make me penalize you again. Please join me in welcoming to the stage Graham Woodley. Thank you so much. Thank Ron. you, Brian. I'm really pleased that you could join us this evening. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. I'm also pleased to get away from these guys,
7: <laughs> to be honest.
1: Graham, tell us the real story of the first Thanksgiving.
7: I will, and it was not 1621 uh, in Massachusetts. It was actually in Virginia. Yes. Uh, and in the spring of 1618, four gentlemen in London, Gloucestershire, England got together. Uh, they were William Throckmorton, uh, Richard Berkeley. George Thorpe, who was a cleric, and John Smith, who happened to be the historian for the Berkeley family and also for Berkeley Council, uh, Castle in England. Well, they got together. Uh, they had gotten a land grant from King James I of 8,000 acres uh, in Virginia. with three miles of waterfront on the James River and decided that they needed to take an expedition here to, to Virginia, so they did. Uh, England was in a, a very much in poverty in those years. Uh, unemployment was high and the woolen industry was failing badly. Now Berkeley area, where they were from, uh, had a central cloth manufacturing area. So that was the impetus for coming over to the New World. So what they decided to do was get an expedition together. And they started interviewing captain, prospective captains for the ship. the ship was the Margaret, not the Meg. And uh, it was uh, 35 feet long, it weighed 47 tons and it was small for ships in that time. Ships were normally 30 to 90 feet long, so it was on the small side. They chose Captain John Woodleaf, who I'm a descendant of, uh, and Captain Woodleaf uh, was a ship's captain, had been a ship's captain, he had been a merchant trader, and he had been to the New World several times. And he had been to Jamestown during the starving time and, and had realized what it was to come over here. So he brought 37 other men with him across the Atlantic Ocean, uh, they left at 8 o'clock on September the 16th, 1619, and traveled for two and a half months across the Atlantic Ocean It the stormy seas. They got a slow start, but they made it, and they made it to Hampton Roads on November the 30th of 1619. He got off the ship briefly to meet with friends and learn about what had happened the several years he had not been here. And then he proceeded up the King James River, which is now the James River, and he and his 37 men landed at Berkeley Plantation. On December the 4th, 1619, um, they were under instructions from uh, the London Company, the Virginia Company in London to do certain things and one of those instructions is once they landed, they were to give thanks for their safe passage. So on December the 4th, 1619, uh, they rowed ashore, they dropped their luggage on the hard ground, they looked at the woods enclosing them and listened in complete silence and Captain Woodleaf said, it's time to give thanks. And so they knelt and they prayed and they gave thanks and they were supposed to do this annually and perpetually. Graham, Graham let, me, let me interrupt here because um,
1: these late shows, sure. I get very hungry. Okay. Could we get to the feast and the meal?
7: The, well, there was no feast. And, what? And let me say, uh, Thanksgiving... I'm going back to your interpretation <laughs> Thanksgivings in, in New England and in the, in the United States or in the New World during those years was a religious ceremony, it was a very solemn religious ceremony. Now certain people, including the pilgrims, a year and a half later had a a feast with their Indian friends, a three-day harvest feast actually, about two years after the Thanksgiving enactment at Berkeley Plantation. But Thanksgiving was not about food in those years, it was about religion and about giving thanks to God for safe passage. You
1: you mentioned uh, the P word,
7: pilgrims.
1: Do you get upset that the pilgrims get top billing in the standard story of Thanksgiving?
7: No, I'm here to tell you today, uh, that's why I'm here today, is <laughs> to talk about it. And uh, I don't get upset, it's, uh, I know the facts, and the facts are <laughs> two years earlier, and, and you know, certain things happened. Uh, there was, to my knowledge, there was never a proclamation from England except for this particular voyage uh, assigning them the, the duty of giving Thanksgiving perpetually and annually. And there were other Thanksgivings before this, uh, but this is the first English-speaking Thanksgiving in the New World. So the facts are there, and what more can I say? I, and it was a year... That's all the time we have for this. no. Right. I, I, I think it's an opening. The king
5: told him to celebrate Thanksgiving. That's not an American national holiday, that's a British holiday. Peter, if I hadn't
1: thrown my flag <laughs> onto the floor, you'd be penalized again. I want to thank you so much thank for coming much. up, Grant. Oh, I really you. appreciate it.
3: pretty persuasive to me. Brian. Yeah, it, it, it would have
1: convinced me, but now that we actually have gotten rid of the only expert on the stage. Uh, we can <laughs> say whatever we want to, as usual. I'll yes. tell the good people out here where the first Thanksgiving really was. Wow. Florida. Oh, gosh. oh Let's boom. just guess. Where, no, you, where are you it, from? No, that? It, 18, I happen to be from Florida. I happen to be from Florida, but that has nothing to do with it. I didn't tell them before I got this whistle. But now that I got the whistle, I'll tell the people where Thanksgiving really started. It was in St. Augustine in 1565. And it was the Spanish explorer, Pedro Mendes, Menendez de Aviles, who landed. And much as Graham's ancestor would do, and your latecomers and in Virginia and New England would do, He knelt, he gave thanksgiving. And I wouldn't call it a feast, but they did have a small meal to give thanks. Uh, Supposedly, they ate bean soup. And I think that pretty much closes the story. And please don't come back up here.
3: (laughs) But I will say, still being the partisan for the hometown here, the home team, he did say the first English speaking. And I heard that right off the bat. So one of the things I love when everybody can be right, that's the guy in the middle. Well, hold it,
5: (laughs) Florida is not part of the, well, what is it? It's part of the Spanish Empire. It's not a part of the U.S. of A. until
3: 1819. Well, so what we really see, then is that (laughs) we can imagine that this rich, very American holiday had many sources in it. And not surprisingly, even though they had turkey neither in Florida with the bean soup or in Virginia where they had Nothing, really, is is my understanding. (laughs) Eventually, we would have a lot of tourists. Or or cow feed in New England, is what I've heard. So Mm. I don't know about you all, but I'm not really feeling my appetite being bolstered too much here. (laughs) But what we do know is that the the turkey came to be the symbol. And as you know, the turkey was almost the American national bird, Uh, much better than... Uh, the, the eagle, uh, because you would have had it, even in Florida, even in mm-hmm. New England, and in Virginia. So the Turkey ended up being a reasonable thing. But on the other hand, even if they were running all over the place, we've already heard they would not have been the centerpiece of the table as they are today. And that's because early American settlers, especially those Puritans up in New England, especially those Puritans up in New England, would not have seen a day of giving thanks as a day of feasting, but instead it would have been a day of fasting, so.
5: Well, Graham, Graham said it, just drop that E and fast. And I think it's about time that we took some of the hot air out of this whole idea of <laughs> the don't, don't do it, Peter.
1: <laughs> don't do it. Oh. Oh. oh,
5: man.
3: You can't rehearse that. <laughs> And we can only hope that his fingers were not... Uh, Whoa. The, you know, that's right. We've so. let
5: some hot air out of that particular myth. All
1: right, we, and now. We've never been audited by OSHA, have <laughs> we?
3: That's right. And Whoa. if any young people are watching the show that on the day of Thanksgiving, fun. that was yeah. just a plastic turkey that's in right. case anybody was worried. And no, please don't try that at home. That's right. No actual turkeys were harmed. The
1: okay, I have a serious question. Yeah. Now that you've deflated the turkey, Peter. Mm, right. I know that we have turkey at home. I know that people have eaten turkey for a long time. So where did turkey come from as a centerpiece? I've got to tell you, all these traditions began just
5: about yesterday. And yesterday <laughs> would be the 19th century, if uh, I'm not no. mistaken. I love it when
3: it comes to me. <laughs> haven't we had, it had enough 19th century? I cannot help it that the font of everything interesting in American history is in the 19th century. And once again, the case of the Thanksgiving that we know of the turkey and the pies and the cranberry sauce and the stuffing and all that. Uh, And we would not have it today if it were not for one person who decided that we needed this holiday in something much like the form that we have it now. And her name was Sarah Hale. And she was a widow from New England who edited a hugely popular women's magazine called Godey's Ladies Book for many years, apparently didn't really have that marketing advice that you might want. Goatee's doesn't really sound (laughs) that attractive, but it is. And now Thanksgiving, by this time, she looked around and said, you know, there are a number of states that have Thanksgiving, but Mm. we really need a national holiday of Thanksgiving. So starting in the 1840s, she decided to start using her magazine to use editorials and stories, letter-writing campaigns to the White House, all arguing that Thanksgiving should be a national holiday.
4: Seventy years ago, there were only about three millions of people under our flag. Now it waves its protecting folds from the Atlantic to the Pacific, and nearly 30 millions of souls are enjoying its blessings. If every state should join in Union Thanksgiving on the 24th of this month, would it not be a renewed pledge of love and loyalty to the Constitution of the United States, which guarantees peace, prosperity, progress, and perpetuity to our great republic.
3: Ah, oh, who could not believe that? And in the 19th century, whenever people spoke, beautiful music played in the background. <laughs> and or they, they the, spoke only in peace They, in they, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
6: they were all about they alliteration were, were and all, all accurate,
3: that. Yeah. So that was Sarah Hale herself in one of our remarkable <laughs> recording tactics <laughs> of that. But here on Backstory, we don't just take first-hand uh, testimony. We also look for expert analysis. And so just as Peter went to a food historian before, and who knew those existed? I went to a historian to analyze the story of Sarah
4: Hale. She was one of the leaders in formulating a pretty strong notion of what women in this new republic were to do. Now, I'll just point out that
3: her accent is not one of New England. That it is of the South. She teaches at Davidson College. as Ann Blue Wills, a religion professor. And she told me that Sarah Hale's notions about women's role had a lot to do with the fact that their husbands were starting to leave home for work every day.
4: The way she described it was, you know, women are the virtuous heart of the nation. And women preside over the home. Mm-hmm. And the home is where the American male who has to go out into the world and strive and make his way and earn a living, he can come home at the end of the day and be cleansed by his pure and domestic wife (laughs) from all of the kind of nasty bargains that he's had to make during the day. So Thanksgiving for Hale fits into this gendered division of work.
3: So the idea is that We would have this beautiful feast presided over by the woman. It would solve the the cares of the husband who's been out striving and fighting and making deals. But she said this isn't really just about cleansing the household, even though that's what it would do. It would be like a a ritual of what was happening every day, but in concentrated form. She says what we could really do with this is cleanse society. And she had some concerns about what was happening in the hurly-burly
4: world of 19th century America. One of her concerns was a growing population of Roman Catholic immigrants from Europe. And she felt like you could incorporate immigrants into the celebration of Thanksgiving and really teach them what it meant to be an American. And for her, what it meant to be an American was to be a Protestant Christian. And there are stories in Godey's that Tell the Tale of Catholics who hadn't celebrated Thanksgiving before, but you know, they get visited by a distant relative who comes out to the country and teaches them how to do Thanksgiving, and they think, oh, this is such a wonderful thing.
3: I'm gonna convert um, to Protestantism.
4: I, I, I'm at least gonna convert to Thanksgiving, and then you know, it leaves <laughs> open the possibility that, well, you know, they're on their way. They're, they're on their way house. to, yes, yeah. exactly.
3: So Thanksgiving was going to be sort of the the big welcome that would bring everybody in and convert them to this idea that we are all living in 1621 Massachusetts. You know, no no matter where you came from, we're all going to be put through the filter of the pilgrims and Puritans. Now, there's one more clip from Anne Blue Wills, and this is kind of the clincher. You're going to hear her describing Sarah Hale's vision of what this new national holiday would look like. It was a very backwards-looking vision, or at least backwards imagining. Her idea was that in this moment in the 19th century, when so many people are moving to the cities, leaving their birthplaces, out wandering around America, that what really America needed was an opportunity to go back to our rural roots. So you've got to know, in the 1860s, they're worried about being so far away from the rural roots. That
1: got kind of over the river <laughs> and through the woods kind of thing.
3: Yeah, that would never be a good idea, but that's kind <laughs> of the idea that she had.
4: She really wanted people to experience the rural purity and natural beauty and blessing of the country. So you would have, you know, a roasted bird, or you would have a chicken pie, or you would have gourds and squash and things that to her represented harvest bounty, and you would have a lot of it.
3: And so she's, in many ways ahead of her time, the sort of the local Uh, strategies of of our own time, right?
4: Kind of, except that she wanted everybody to be a New England localist. She wanted everybody everywhere um, (laughs) to pretend like they were enjoying a Thanksgiving harvest feast in New England.
5: Apples. (laughs) First cultivated in New England, apple pie, the gift of my homeland. Here we have it right here. I think this is the big clincher, guys. We have decided it. Gramps, stay down. All right. That's a pie, a real pie. I'm not going to
1: deflate this one. So Ed, was Sarah Hale successful? Is this how we got Thanksgiving? Is that the story of how we finally get to sit down and eat my turkey?
3: No, I was just kidding. Well, it was kind of, but it took a long time for her to persuade people that this would be a good idea. It seems so obviously a good idea. Now, it took four presidents that she would launch these letter writing campaigns to, and they all resisted her until finally one president stepped up, Abraham Lincoln in 1863. Now, as we all know, that is the pivot of the American Civil War. There had been enormous suffering. And so Abraham Lincoln finally adopts this idea that she'd been promoting for 20 years to make the last Thursday in November, a national holiday Ed, of Ed, Ed, yeah, you, yeah.
5: you promised not to talk about the Civil War tonight.
3: <laughs> I did. I went for thirty minutes, which is about as long as I can go without But talking it is
5: about something this. really interesting about a New England woman who has a national vision during the period in which there was no nation. It was the disunited States of America. And that vision that takes us back to old New England takes us forward to a a vision of union that, well, we've all
1: embraced ever since we started eating that turkey. Okay, okay. So, I think I got it. We have the domestic, we have Sarah Hale kind of domesticating things. Hmm. And we have, ultimately, she prevails with Abraham Lincoln, who saved the Union, and he proclaims, he issues a proclamation to make Thanksgiving our national holiday. And remember, Illinois is part of New England. And you should remember how Americans feel about proclamations and government in general, Peter. They don't like it so much. That's why we had a revolution. I think think there's still something missing, something that's Mm. not quite here. I'm going to propose that despite its apparent roots in the 19th century, apparent, <laughs> apparent because this show has a 20th century guy in. <laughs> there has and, to be something going Unemployment really is trying. very high <laughs> out there, in case you haven't no, noticed sorry, it. Heard, yeah. Thanksgiving didn't really take on its modern form until my century, the 20th century. So what did
3: you add
7: to the mix? Quiet,
1: you'll learn. The
7: Green Bay Packers invade Brick Stadium for their (laughs) annual Thanksgiving Day battle with the Lions.
1: Guys, Thanksgiving may or may not have started in Plymouth, but I am certain that the transformation of Thanksgiving into a major national holiday did take place where they made Plymouth. And that's in oh, Detroit, oh, very Michigan.
3: <laughs> well, he had so long to get ready for that. I know, you know that's I mean. the advantage of the 20th
1: century. We may be slow, but we always come last. <laughs> <laughs> so it was in Detroit, Michigan, in 1934, that a local radio executive who had just bought, yes, it's true, the hapless Detroit Lions, that joke would have been funnier last year, uh, came up with the ingenious scheme of putting his newly bought team that very few people had heard of on national radio. And it was in Detroit in 1934 that the first NFL game was broadcast nationally. And I want to submit humbly, as I always do, so suitably. <laughs> that the real beginning of the modern Thanksgiving was in Detroit, and that's because it had the three essential ingredients of the 20th century. And we have alliteration, too. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. It's marketing, merchandising, and mass audience. And that's That's what finally, that is progress. (laughs) That's finally what makes Thanksgiving
7: guys, don't you think?
1: I mean, I can go on about other things in the 20th century.
7: Yeah, if it's about football, it is.
1: it's about guys watching
5: football, am I right? You're it's about right. uh, serving up the couch potatoes along with the turkey. Or the turkeys get the couch... Well, I don't know, it gets confused. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, a, it's actually a celebration of the home, wouldn't you say? Is This is a moment uh, in the spirit of, of yeah. Sarah Hale when, when uh, the mother takes over, when yeah, it's but She didn't
3: foresee, I don't think, that you had to offer the bribe of a TV screen in the family room running to keep the guys... Well, you know, that on. is the
5: big challenge with holidays throughout American history, and that's keeping the guys home and keeping them sober. Well, yeah. if they must drink, do <laughs> no, so true. responsibly in front of a football game. Now,
3: that really would have been the <laughs> idea of a holiday for a long time. Thanksgiving. Remember my grandfather telling me about going out and blowing up anvils for Christmas uh, <laughs> with dynamite. Now there's some good fun. You know. Wow. Also, kids. We're not doing that either. So. That's Mythbusters on the other channel. We're not doing well, that. Well, speaking
1: of marketing and merchandising, there was something for the women about the same time, maybe a little earlier. Ed, this is this is really just a little bit after your century. Yeah. You want to tell the good folks what there was on Thanksgiving?
3: Well, it, it, when you have the 3Ms, marketing, merchandising and and uh, mass audience. Mass audiences, uh, it really works much better with the television. And so If What would you have on TV while you're waiting for the game to come on? Something
5: starting with an M? It would
3: be (laughs) Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. So the idea of a mass market sort of spectacle that everybody in the country can share on the little glowing box in their TV is also, I think, if we're all honest with ourselves, a kind of a final ingredient in the actual experience of TV. Thank you.
1: That is, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, that is very generous. Well, you you know, I'm working with you. I, I appreciate well, we it. We have got lots
5: of ingredients. We do, right. and we've some of them are really... a little deflated now. But there's lots at the table that comes from all of our centuries. In the spirit of healing and togetherness, <laughs> I want to say the centuries reach out to each other, and we 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 reach back through them as we gather together around that Thanksgiving table.
3: So what I hear us saying is whether it's in Virginia in 1619, which is way before 1621, or the Johnny Come Latelys of. <laughs> two long years later. Forget the uh,
5: bean soup. No <laughs> way. Or 1560.
3: Or 1565, I'm sorry, in, in uh, Spanish-speaking Florida. Uh, and then with the l- different layers of all the key ingredients in the 19th century, um, or then the mass marketing part. Now, it, t- it took a long time for Thanksgiving it to come together. It but did. you know what I'm wondering? How long is it going to take for questions from the audience to come together? because they'll need to remember that C-SPAN is watching, and this is live. So, and we've been hey, saying all hey, kinds of We're already
5: stars. This is your chance.
1: It is. So <laughs> we invite you to come up to the mics. There's a mic on either side. And people are always a little shy about this, but don't be shy. We're friendly. And while you're making your way up to the mic, we also want to remind you that tonight's show is being carried. This is a little marketing message. We hope (laughs) it's mass marketing. We hope it's mass marketing. (laughs) It's being carried on C-SPAN 3 at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time Before and after the football game. On Thanksgiving Day. So for all of you watching at home during halftime of course, we want you to listen to your radio. We want you to listen in uh, and watch that C-SPAN show. And for those of you listening on radio or downloading on the computer or on your iPods, you can stay in touch with us. You can ask us your questions. You can give us comments by going to our website, BackstoryRadio.org. Hey, and we'll do, our, we'll do our best to answer. Uh, and I'm really kind of out of that marketing message. So somebody better show up at a microphone. Here we go. All
5: right. Wait for the lights and, to and be Please honest. identify
1: yourself.
2: Hi. Uh, I'm Mark Scherbaum. I live in Richmond, Virginia. Um, and I'm interested uh, in the history of uh, Black Friday as a, 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 a Thanksgiving oh. tradition. And I know in, the, in the, this new century that we don't have any representation up on stage, there's this thing called Internet Monday or whatever, whatever the Ooh. name is. Ooh. So I wonder if you could give a little history of, of that um, you know, we happens. all
3: represent the century we live in, Mark, so that was great, you know, because we want to have shared ownership of all this, but I saw my 20th century friend lean into the microphone, which I take to be a good sign that he's going to address your excellent question.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a terrific question. Um, you may know that a, a number of holidays were invented or commercialized in order to sell merchandise. I think in the case of Thanksgiving and the day after it, Black Friday, this was not some kind of conspiracy or not exactly an invention. It was really, uh, actually you're gonna have to tune into our holiday show, which deals with <laughs> Christmas, and when you do, you'll learn that the sale season and the pressure to, sale, to sell and to turn Christmas into a very commercial holiday started earlier and earlier, backing up all the way to Black Friday. And from what I've read, you mm-hmm. can correct me if I'm wrong, but it is now crossed. The Thanksgiving barrier. I see well, you nodding. <laughs> Lots of big stories. How are many opening people have midnight? you? How many, how many right. of you have already been shopping for Christmas?
7: Uh, oh, thank you for messing no. up. That and some men, too. That's yeah. very impressive. <laughs> no. That is very
1: impressive. So it'll be very interesting to see. For, for years, Thanksgiving really was the barrier probably for 20 or 30 years.
5: And it's a serious barrier because I think as we've tried to show tonight, it means a lot of things and those meanings still survive. There still is a religious dimension. There still is a a notion of national patriotism. There still is a notion of being with the family. And those people who have to go out and, and sell, the people, clerks in the stores, this is uh, this is doing major harm to them psychically. So we're going to pay the cost through uh, our our health plan care plan.
2: Yeah. Are you
1: are you a retailer? No, I'm.
2: I'm oh, I was looking behind me. Uh, no, I I, I I often do that too. <laughs> I'm, I'm easily replaced. Me? I mean, the twentieth century is very <laughs> everybody does this stuff. No, I know that uh, some people doubt that, that the black f- or the um, whatever they call it on uh, the internet Monday is a real phenomenon. It's just you know people come back into their offices and surf on the web uh, naturally on Mondays, and so they you know it's getting close to Christmas, so they would do it anyway. So I know yeah, the interesting a little bit of a thing is
3: that one thing I know is that the 19th century is blameless in this, <laughs> uh, because Christmas would not have been commercialized at the same time. So this, hey, I, did you not no, read about Telegraph me? Telegraph
1: Tuesdays? <laughs> <laughs> and we call him a historian. I don't know.
3: You know, I don't know what to say about all that. I think. Um, do you have an idea of when it might be?
2: Um, well, I mean, I think about like the whole uh, Miracle on 34th Street and yeah. Macy's, and you have a big parade that brings people down to Macy's, and then you buy things, and so maybe that's where that. Um, but you know, the Macy's parade
1: was really to just get people warmed up to begin mm-hmm. thinking of it. I, I don't think I, I. I can't date Black Friday exactly for you. But I don't think people were rushing out and shopping the day after Thanksgiving until the last 20 or 30 years. I might be wrong about that. And uh, if any of you are doing your email right now and would like to Google Black Friday, feel free. This is my students do this all the time.
3: But I'm seeing people nodding to suggest that, Brian, your answer was close enough to count. Yes? Oh, that's (laughs) all I asked for. (laughs) Thanks very much, Mark. Thank you. you. Mark.
5: Thank you, Mark. All right. We got a couple more. All right. jostling. All right. You're
3: jostling. <laughs> You're jostling.
4: Um, one of the questions that I have is when we began talking about this and when I was growing up, and which was longer ago than I'd like to think about, the Indians and the pilgrims or the Virginians or the Spanish. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Gracias. Part, um, in all the history books that we read in grade school and middle school, that was all part of it. It wasn't just family and it Mm -hmm. wasn't just religion, but it was also very representative of uh, disparate people coming together. Yes. In listening to, as you've gone through the centuries and as we get to Black Friday, um, it it seems like, has that really left the whole ethos of what Thanksgiving's all about, or is it just family and we get to cook all day and the guys watch TV? Oh, I think
5: it's all of those things, and those meanings are there. I would say, though, that century is responsible and even the romanticization of early contact with Indians is very much a function of what we call the red legend which is that sense of collective pre Clint Eastwood guilt about the destruction of Indians and Indian country and so this notion that there was a moment when America is symbolically represented by the Indian not the turkey and the Indian nature's product the natural inhabitants the owners of this continent and romanticizing in reverse and thinking back to getting it started in the right way. And I think that is a, that's a very moving gesture toward what we now call multiculturalism uh, and I think it has deep symbolic meanings and they do resonate with us. I think that's an excellent point.
3: You'll notice that uh, the imagining of Thanksgiving is in the very same time that American Indians, the final trail of tears right. and the, the final removal. I do think you know the idea of the American Indians welcoming the English settlers is the idea of the continent welcoming, welcoming right, America. Right. And that cuts it both point. ways so that you can have this corn that you wouldn't eat back home, but it's the natural bounty of all this. That's I do think it's yeah. not unlike the Pocahontas legend. this the idea that some, they, they, they loved us enough to marry us and to convert. And so I think the idea, too, is that you have sort of the Indian, there's a part of a feast, there's kind of a Christian theme to that, yeah, I think, I think is right. that they're kind of coming together on the terms right. of the English. So, But, you know, today, I, I think that's still very much alive. I think the, the, the sort of uh, inclusiveness is something that we want our youngest children to understand, this idea there was a time when we were together. I'm sure this is ebbed and flowed over the yeah. years. But growing up in the era of Westerns, you know, when it was on television all the time, uh, still the idea of the Indians uh, being Thanksgiving was key to all that. Right. That's a great question. Yeah. Thank thanks you so Thanks much. so
5: much, yeah. All right, that was an anonymous caller, folks. Oh, we'll, yes. We'll get her name later. <laughs> but now we have, would you identify yourself, sir? I'm Alan Brittle. Uh, I'm a native Virginian, so I'm going to vote for Berkeley. Good. This is um, not a democracy, forget uh, it. <laughs> Uh, a bit more mundane. Where did the cranberry come into the picture? When did it arrive as a part this of This is area? where we get bogged down.
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. 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 I told you I oh. warned you about the corny jokes. Oh. 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 <laughs> so
3: moving on, on to a the comedy next show either. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about cranberries. That's your region.
5: <laughs> Thanks, Ed. On national television. Well, C-SPAN 3, right?
4: Yeah. And I'm right.
5: not going to know the answer to this question. Go to the bogs, when in doubt, go to the bogs, that's where they come from. They grow them in Cape Cod, I think there's, I think because
3: it is a characteristic New England. I think
5: that's one of the native, uh, as maize, corn was, this was the fruit of the land. And Ed made a, a beautiful point when he talked about the land welcoming us. And so I made these disparaging comments about corn, I was just making a point. But the, the reality of it is you're it's grateful. nothing against <laughs> corn. No, it's one of my favorite foods. And if you're starving, you'll eat it and you'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> Same goes for cranberry. So uh, it was there. It was the fruit of the land. So I think that's when Sarah Hale starts to develop these menus that are pub- published in Godie's lady's book, then my guess is you're going to find cranberries high on the list.
3: Yeah, because she doesn't just promote the idea. She tells you everything you need to do, sort of entire kits of Thanksgiving. Uh, And if you did have a a New England Thanksgiving feast, this is exactly what it would look like. And I I would imagine you'd not be surprised to know that it was the 19th century that developed the cranberry. They did not even (laughs) exist before then. We're a very balanced show politically in every other way. So I feel it's important that we let the other aisle have a chance to speak. If you don't mind, sir, Thank you. Thank thank you very much. Thanks
5: for a great question. No, I didn't actually like that question very much. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir, and you are? Walt Pulliam, from here in Richmond. Great. Uh, really kind of a two-part question. One, you earlier alluded to some, some sort of origins in Great Britain, and perhaps in Europe generally, and... Uh, that was Paul, uh, and that was not <laughs> scripted. <laughs> and then a
1: follow-up, really, uh, to the question uh, earlier. How did the uh, waves of immigrants, non-English yeah. immigrants, who came particularly in the latter
5: 1800s uh, adapt to this American tradition. Well, I I make one general comment, and uh, I know this is your century, but it also is the century, the period in the century known in New England and throughout the country is the colonial revival. It was a period when the idea of uh, Anglo-Saxon supremacy, of the superiority of the English-speaking world, Uh, was very important in America, partly because of all those immigrants that we heard about. And it's a a version of what they'll call Americanization in Brian's century.
1: Yeah, and I I would just add, as the grandson of immigrants who came over at the turn of the century, uh, Hungary, Russia, Jewish immigrants, uh, they embraced the real Thanksgiving by eventually moving to Florida.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Because they'd heard. Excellent bean soup there, right? that's right. And
5: there's also a, another dimension of this, and that is the way we understand history was largely shaped by New England writers. And in fact, the domination of the Harvard History Department something we finally <laughs> overcome. <laughs> uh, and that is, the, the American history begins on the Charles. It's with the Puritans. It's at Plymouth Rock. That's, that's the national narrative that became very powerful in the late 19th century during this heyday of uh, anglo-saxonism and of americanization inflected english
3: you know i think it's not an accident uh, that the new england version is sort of the more codified version i think you know i Mm -hmm. all kidding aside i think i'm sure peter accepts graham's uh, account and it goes back to your point people would have been giving thanks throughout human history the pilgrims frankly probably would not have focused on just a big holiday. They certainly would not have had a focus on a mm-hmm. holiday where they were stuffing themselves, as well as the turkey. They would be, instead, giving thanks by fasting, by abdicating themselves. And you'd see that here in Richmond, Jefferson Davis, during the Confederacy as well. They would call for days of Thanksgiving and fasting as well. And uh, So I think you're exactly right. This is, the Americans did not invent giving thanks, uh, but what we did I think, invent was the idea of, I do think it has this multicultural component and the idea of, of making peace, but also the idea of, in a time when the family's being pulled apart, and the family's been pulled apart ever since right, really the country right. began with the mobility that we have here, I think that the, the holiday was designed as a time for people to come together, so. Yeah,
5: I think it's what we think of as home that warm place we go to. And unlike Christmas where the rate of suicide is pretty high, people get depressed at Christmas. I think Thanksgiving has held in there as a joyous holiday for most Americans.
3: So uh, the answer to your question is like almost everything American, frankly, they reached back into earlier times and took what they wanted and assembled it into something that suited our own times. It's like so we can learn to like corn, <laughs> you know. Or, right. or log cabins come so from Sweden. All these things kind of assembled into an American a idea. A Christmas
1: tree from Germany.
3: That's right.
5: Well, we've taken that Sarah Hale narrative and we've let other plants grow around it. So now that it's a rich one that has multiple traditions and one that we can all feel is, speaks to us and where we came from and who we
1: are. Thank you, Walt. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dennis Busse. And there's two questions. I have been uh, told, and perhaps you can verify, that the public schools in Virginia would offer that it was Berkeley where Thanksgiving was started. I don't know if that's true or not. And then secondly, how about other states? I wonder. If, does Florida claim that they're the first Thanksgiving, or whether Iowa, where the corn how, comes how, from, how, yeah. how, do the, how do the public schools view that, or is is Virginia unique in that regard, or what what goes on there? Graham, do you want to answer yeah, about uh, Virginia schools?
7: Virginia schools. It's a part of the standards of learning for Virginia
4: schools.
1: Hey. Uh,
7: <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Uh, the other states, I don't. I think so. And we don't <laughs> care about <them>. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
5: what really matters, is, what really matters is in, the,
7: in the grade levels of Virginia schools. I see. What
5: really matters in the, in the textbook business is the books that Texas is going to adopt. In California. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So that's the big market. You know,
3: I mean, with all respect to my, my state here, the Pilgrim story is a lot more useful because of the American Indian component of it, and also of the gratitude for abundance. Right. I think that's what really makes this an American story. We're so fortunate to live in a place that is so rich, you know, and that when you come together and, and sort of see symbolized in one place what we basically enjoy as a people across such a long period of time. I think that you know, the SOLs acknowledging Berkeley in a sort of historical accuracy, but I think that the Pilgrim story is a lot more useful in the idea of diversity and of tying the country together and also of recognizing abundance. We're not really much into not eating, uh, <laughs> you know? And I, so I think. And that Ed,
1: wouldn't you agree that I hate to give more airtime to the 19th century, yeah. but isn't that the century in which, if we're going to talk about American exceptionalism, abundance becomes one of the exceptional qualities of
3: the United States? Yes, even though I can tell Peter wanted
1: to Well, I, I'd, I'd add to that,
5: of course. I, I'll invoke the spirit of a famous Californian, Ronald Reagan, who always talked about the shining city upon a hill. And he's, of course, talking about Puritan Boston. It's, <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Cannot. That? Let it go. Didn't you
3: hear about the SOLs here in Virginia? <laughs>
5: no, I think that, I think, I think we're agreed that the national narrative, the one that's inspiring, the one that gives you a straight through line It's, of course, invented in Ed's century, this narrative of American history, because there's no reason that it should have survived, but we had God on our side. There was this providential notion that it was given that this great nation would spread across the continent. When it had spread across the continent, and you can talk to us about all the near misses, if it had had, once it had spread across the continent, then you needed a story. You need a powerful narrative that would make liberty and religious freedom and the first immigrants, their stories would become the paradigm or the model for all other stories. This would be, as we say in English departments, the meta-narrative.
1: Yeah. Guys, I think we have time for one more question. Come on, we're having fun. Dennis. Just one? I know. That, that's why we have to stop. Just we have to push ourselves to back fun. from the table.
7: Exactly. Okay, this ma'am.
4: will be a quick question. All right. My name is Joy Winstead, and I'm from the northern neck of Virginia, but I live in Richmond now. And I wish that you would share with the audience what Benjamin Franklin had to say when he wanted the turkey to be the symbol of the United States rather than the eagle. I would hate to see those two birds reverse positions on Thanksgiving. <laughs> he must have. <Yeah. laughs>
3: <laughs> that's some chewy... <laughs> that's,
5: that's a question we could chew on, Yeah. Uh, well, American history is an eagle trip. <laughs> oh God, that was really weak, so, wasn't it?
3: What, what, do you do, what do you know about? They're everybody? not giving thanks do, right do, now. Do, do you know anything <laughs> about Benjamin Franklin and the turkey and the and the eagle? Well,
5: the turkey is, as you said, it brilliantly, Ed, it is a domestic bird. It's a familiar bird, and as we know, eagles are very not very not very nice people. Uh, and I think this feeling that. You can get along with a turkey even when you chop, <laughs> even, you, even when you talk to I him. have a childhood memory, one of my f- few memories, because I'm almost brain dead, is of a, a friend chopping off the heads of turkeys. And this is not a good way to end the show. But <laughs> with the turkeys running around, those turkeys yeah, had why a why will go back to, to New England. They had a vision, no, it couldn't have been a vision. Uh, <laughs> That was, that was terrible. Can we have another question, please?
3: <laughs> I think that what Peter was trying to say. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> is that it was not an accident that what we would look to as our national bird uh, was a bird of abundance, not of warfare, not of, That's right. not, not of defense. That's very martial, that but, eagle. But, but it was right? domestic, you know, that what America was about is the place that people would come to make new homes for themselves. And, and Brian's story is the great American story of where Thanksgiving is a time when people have come here literally right. from all over the world, from every kind of background, with every kind of religion, yeah. and are looking for what's the holiday that we can share.
5: Right. Can, can you imagine what? instead of spread eagle nationalism, as we had in your century, we had spread turkey nationalism. <laughs> And in many I'm ways, sure can can find, that's I'm, what we get at Thanksgiving—a turkey spread. Okay.
3: <laughs> and in many ways, you can see that that is in fact what we chose. The eagle, we admire, but the right. turkey is what we gather around and love. And I think it's because it is a sort of a, a, a welcoming and non-threatening thing. So well, I, I this, think that's this what also should, might be. Yeah, a, I
5: think a, you a, saved the day. Thank this you. This
1: might be a 20th-century perspective, but I, I think when we think about Thanksgiving, we think about a very domestic holiday, and we'd like to think of ourselves as peaceful and domestic, I think when we look outside of America, that's when we think of eagles, that's when we think of power, that's Mm -hmm. when we think of birds that perhaps are not not so nice. And of course, looking outside of America in Peter's period was looking to Ohio. Uh, Mm -hmm. And in Ed's period, it was looking out to the West uh, so there was a lot of outside to look at and I, I think that's the difference between the turkey. Yeah, and, yeah if you think about the,
3: the characteristic image of, of Thanksgiving is everyone sitting around looking at each other, right? Right. Inward. So, enclosure. As With the turkey the t-
1: disappears, as it did here tonight.
3: And, yeah. and, and, the, and the lions losing on television in the background.
1: Well, speaking of the lions, um, I'm going to ask you guys to, for some concluding thoughts. Here's, here's mine. It seems that for much of the 19th century, in fact, going even back to the 18th century, the men are leaving. They're leaving to go to the colonies. They're leaving to fight in the Civil War. And the real effort of those promoting Thanksgiving is to somehow bring those men back in to to have Mm -hmm. a domestic holiday. And you'll laugh at me, but I think the biggest success in bringing men back into the house is the NFL and football (laughs) and Yeah, they may be couch potatoes, but as Peter said earlier there there are couch potatoes uh, in the house domesticated and the family is together maybe not paying attention to each other, but it is (laughs) Exactly, but but they are Together, uh, which is rarer and rarer, I well, think. Well, and I like Ed's image of side.
5: sitting around the table. And looking inward. That is, you
1: have to turn off the
5: telly, you have to come to the table. Except then, not
3: when backstories <laughs> on <laughs> no. C SPAN on American history well, television. <laughs> and this
5: is one of the times when you've got to man up at the table and use the utensils in the proper order because table manners constitute the history of civilization. And getting guys to behave well at the table is the history it's the secret to the progress you already saw how
1: peter behaves at the table (laughs) over there for instance
5: i would never make it at at your thanksgiving ed do you have any
3: concluding well only to to say that uh, you know you you hear us kidding and it's kind of our job to sort of take things apart Uh, i'd have to say that our hearts not really in taking thanksgiving apart because what we're really showing what we're really suggesting is that it was like everything a product of history. It was imagined by people in time for particular reasons. It's constantly changing. We now have Internet Monday. right? These things are constantly evolving, but these things evolve for a reason. There's something that we love about this. I don't hear anybody turning away from this holiday. As a matter of fact, with the same kind of desperation that the American English settlers had in 1619 or 21, the same kind of anxiety that Sarah Hale felt when she looked around and watched the country falling apart in the 19th century and thought maybe a holiday would help hold it together. Or in the depths of the Great Depression, people have looked to Thanksgiving as a time that we might be able to come together as a people, and I think all three of us actually believe that. So we hope that all of you will have a chance to come together with the people you love at Thanksgiving, and we appreciate you coming together with us here today.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where we're going to have to leave things um, unless we go into overtime. Uh, But remember, the conversation continues 24-7 on our website, BackstoryRadio.org. You can find all of our past shows there and sign up for our free podcast. Before
5: we go, we want to extend a special thanks to the staff here at the Virginia Historical Society. Thanks also to C-SPAN for making us even more famous <laughs> with is podcasting tonight's show as part of its American history TV lineup. And last but not least, thanks to all of you. You've been a terrific audience.
3: Except for those really hard questions. Which <laughs> that cranberry really question. <laughs> Thank you very much. Today's episode of Backstory is produced by Tony Field with help from Thomas Pierce Jess Ingebretson, Eric Minnell, and Sam Prickett. Our executive producer is Andrew Windham. Backstory is a production of VFH Radio at the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities.
4: Major support for Backstory is provided by the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Joseph and Robert Cornell Memorial Foundation, the University of Virginia, Weinstein Properties, and an anonymous donor.
3: Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. you.